0: Said the crime is in your bank account, you've been labeled that you're too poor to be free, and that I think, you know, that that is basically what happens to Jean Valjean at the beginning of of Les Mis. It's it's still happening today, and that's that's just horrible. And so so programs like this are, are trying to remedy that to um, ensure that people are like not going back to prison just because they're again quote like too too poor to be free.
1: Tell me, tell me, tell me, what's a life? I've been feeling starstruck, seeing human love thrive in this really long dusk. Guess it's really all love, seven billion of us. And I read the headlines. Tell me, tell me, tell me, what's a life? It's lux of so violence? Corn shucked to conscience, hot sauce, blood diamonds. Everybody pitching in for this red with silence. We already hit a
2: bread Hi, I'm Michael. And I'm Obasi. So... My friend Michael and I have come into adulthood watching our world become more and more polarized. From political polarization, to income inequality, to how we even define what is real. It feels like schism and conflict are everywhere, like everything is coming apart. It feels like we need some type of meta-solution, regardless of the issue, like how do we come back together? What does it look like to make peace?
3: And at the same time, the world hasn't literally fallen apart yet. So people must be making peace on some level. So that's where we want to start. We want to learn who's making peace and how, and how we can apply that to the rest of our world.
2: So join us as we try to find everyday peacemakers and learn what peacemaking means to them. Each episode, we'll learn one
3: principle of peacemaking from our guest. These are featured as a growing tribute to our guests and their wisdom at principlesofpeacemaking.org.
2: Today's guest is Siobhan, a writer and journalist who spent three years after college working in international development in Zambia and India. She has three stories for us about mercy and about what it means to be a peacemaker when you're the one who's been stolen from. This episode's principle of peacemaking takes the form of a question, who here needs mercy? Story of peacemaking we talked about it a little bit beforehand it is about a book right
0: yeah it's actually about um les miserables so a lot of people are maybe more familiar with the musical slash movie um but it basically has the same plot as the book but without a lot of the digressions that the book goes on so so i love the book but um it's not for everyone it's it's made like a thousand pages it it goes into like long digressions about the napoleonic wars and the Paris sewer systems, which is really interesting. But um, at the heart of the book, um, I I think it is a story about mercy. It's a story about justice and the story about peacemaking. At the the heart of the story is this guy um, called Jean Valjean. And he, at the beginning of the story, is, is kind of on, on parole. He's been in prison for, for 19 years for basically stealing a loaf of bread and then trying to escape um, from prison multiple times. Um, so so the, first, the first scene in the book, basically, is he, he goes and stays with a, with a bishop and ends up stealing some of the bishop's stuff. The, the authorities bring him back to, back to the bishop and the bishop says, no, I just gave it to him, actually gives him the stuff and then gives him some silver candlesticks as well and says, um, I want you to take these candlesticks and make an honest man out of, out of yourself. So I think that's the first that's the first instance of mercy in the book. It's, it's how it starts out. And that kind of paves the way for Valjean's life in, in the future. So the rest of the book, after after he gets his candlesticks, he does basically become a pillar of the community. Um, but there's there's this um, officer who's following him this whole time, um, who has never gotten past the fact that Valjean had once committed a crime. And this this officer um, Javert, who's who's following Beljean, he's never able to reconcile what he thinks that that he thinks like Beljean is is permanently a criminal, permanently awful. So so when Valjean saved Javert's life. Javert is not able to deal with that, and and actually kills himself because he's just not able to deal with the idea of of mercy. So I think I think this has a lot to say about about peacemaking, right? Because um, you have this this justice system in you know 19th century France that is that is very bad. That's locking people up out of crimes that they do out of out of desperation. And you have on one hand the bishop who who's able to see that and is able to, to have mercy and, and, you know, give, give Valjean the means that he needs to be able to kind of turn around his life. And then you have Javert, who is not able to internalize that and who, when an act of mercy happens to him from this person, he's just said, oh, this is a bad person. This, this person is irredeemable. He is unable to deal with that to the extent that, that he actually kills himself.
2: something that happens for Jean Valjean, I think, um, in that story where, you know, at the beginning, he is a criminal, or at least, like, he's seen as a criminal by his society. Um, and in the end, he's not. Like, he becomes this kind of important figure in his community. Um, and so there's some sort of, like, reformation that happens there. And, you know, he, he goes to jail. He steals again. He has the priest forgive him. He has, like, you know, these other things that go on in his life. And I'm wondering... What do you think was necessary for Jean Valjean's like reformation in that sense? Like what aspects of his experience do you think led him to becoming like um you know to, to make peace kind of with society?
0: Yeah, so I think the best way I can answer this, and I'm not like a expert on 19th century France or or literature is, is that, um, the way that he's treated by society really changes, right? So at, at the beginning, um, he's, you know, he steals out of a place of desperation for himself and his family. The way society treats that is, says, you have to go to jail for five years because you stole a loaf of bread. Um, the second time he steals when, when he gets out of, um, of prison, the, the way that society or, or the bishop treats him is is very different. So so the bishop says, you know, I give you these things and I give you these things to start a new life with. And so it's interesting is Jean Valjean himself maybe is not changing that much over over the course of that time, like in his internal like moral state, because he's he's doing something for the benefit of his family at the beginning. He's doing something for the benefit of society afterwards. But the way that society treats him really changes the way that he acts. We're labeling him as a criminal versus, you know, saying that you just don't have the resources that you need to become your best self, I guess, become this person who's who's really contributing to society.
3: Given that we just heard that Jean-Paul maybe didn't totally change, maybe didn't change a lot, but the way that society responded to him did change, I'm wondering how you see Javert's position in that? Like, did did he change? Could he have changed? Could society have done something that help, would have helped him change? And ultimately, why is it that he couldn't reconcile this change for Jean Val?
0: Um, yeah, I think that's that's a really good question. Um, yeah, it's like if, if Javert himself had um, encountered encountered the bishop, for example, and, and the bishop showed, showed him mercy as well, like maybe that would have set him on a different path. Yeah, I, I think maybe possibly that's that's the case. There there are some people also who think that um, Javert is like a representation of the law and therefore like as this immutable like idea he couldn't have actually changed. I don't know. I prefer to see him as as a character, and so I think maybe there there would have been a chance for reformation if he had if he had met the bishop first and maybe have been introduced to this idea of mercy in in a way that. That was maybe less less jarring to him, right? Which is like this this guy that he has been, you know, chasing after for years, saving, saving his life, was just like too much for him to handle. Um, obviously very dramatic um for, for a literary sense. But you know, if these is if these were real people, then I think I think that might have been possible. Um, but yeah, I think I think the issue with Javert in the book, right, is that he cannot even be, begin to comprehend mercy, is that once someone has done something bad. To him, they're just always a criminal and they're, you know, there's just like this disconnect between them ever doing anything, anything good.
3: Yeah, I find that super interesting because there's like this implication that, you know, Javert didn't necessarily come into contact with Mercy at the beginning and so wasn't set on a track to change or to comprehend what Mercy could do. Which is super interesting considering him as a person in power or a representation of the law that, you know, he also would have needed to come into contact with the merciful bishop, with the mercy, uh, in order to reconcile something even outside of himself as he's watching it.
2: Yeah, I I find that like really interesting from the uh, perspective too of like, this is a story of peacemaking. And it's like, I struggled at first to kind of figure out who is making peace with who. And i think that you know everybody is like in a kind of conversation of peacemaking with each other but what's interesting is the one that fails is the one between javert and jean valjean um, and that's the only one that fails um, in this story of peacemaking like everybody else reconciles and what's interesting to me about that is that like javert is the reason it fails but javert never did anything wrong in the sense that he never like committed a crime um and yet It is um, Javert's inability to, like, change that is what prevents peace from being made, even though, like, like you would think it's Jean Valjean's responsibility to change.
0: So I guess the second part of my story um, comes from when I was living in Zambia for about a year and a half after I graduated college. And... Um, Zambia is um, in in Southern Africa, it's a very poor country. And I was working in like agriculture and sanitation, economic development projects. So I went to church once in Zambia, and it was kind of like a, it's like a mixed church, like there was, there was a lot of foreigners, There was a lot of Zambians, it was just like a, I think like a Protestant church. And there was a guest preacher preaching who was actually a white British woman. And this is just like one of the sermons that I've heard that that has stuck with me and will probably stick with me my entire life. So she was talking about how, when she moved to Zambia, the first year that she moved there, she got her house broken into like four times, I think. And she was really upset about this as, as one is when their house is broken into, but, and she started thinking about that and she was like, well, I have so much, I I am so rich and these people are stealing from me because they need something. And, And basically my country has exploited this country for resources, has colonized this country, um, over a course, of course of years. And basically I am rich partially because of this. And so like thinking about this, I cannot be upset that my wealth is being taken from me because basically my wealth is an accident of birth. And that was so powerful to me. Um, I think I don't have time to get into like maybe colonialism here, but it it is just a fact that your wealth and, and your status in life is largely determined by where you're born. Right. So if you're if you're born in the US, many of these the members of these podcasts, right? You're born in the US, you're born into like an upper middle class family. That's just luck. Versus if you're born in Zambia, you are just much more likely to to be born poor because of these historical factors, because because of many factors. And that just determines the opportunities that you have in life. So I thought it was just really powerful that that she brought in kind of these society-wide injustices and and kind of was able to look at her own life through this lens. Um, then I think about a year after that, um, my own house actually got broken into, and I, I thought about that a lot, I think, um, this was like about a week before I was set to leave Zambia, um, someone broke into my house and stole like basically all of our electronics, but, but nothing else. Um, so I was interestingly, like, telling one of my friends from work um, this story of, of the pastor, right? Um, and then he responded, well, like, that's great, but there also has to be rule of law. So I also, thought, that was really interesting, because I, I do think that's true, right? Like, on a society-wide level, like, there there should be things to prevent stealing, but I also think on the individual level, right, kind of related to to the bishop who has a lot who, like, has these silver candlesticks, and who who doesn't, I think on an individual level, I still strongly agree with the pastor that as rich people who are basically, you know, for the most part, born, born into wealth, we have a responsibility to have mercy and to, to forgive. And I think people ask me, they're like, well, isn't kind of the logical conclusion of that argument just give people things. And I think, yes. Like that is what I tried to do. Um, like I think there's one level, like you know, don't be upset or too upset if people steal your stuff. But but the second is, I think we do have like an active duty to other to other people who who are born basically less lucky than us to you know kind of kind of do things.
2: Yeah, I I love that. I love both like that as like just a tension that like I think a lot of people feel um, a lot of the time with like, you know, there's always the question of like homelessness. Uh, When you see people who are homeless on the streets, uh, what is my responsibility to that person being part of this kind of broader society that has failed that person? So I think I think that's interesting. I also really like the um, the parallels between you talked about the rule of law and like this idea that like, don't we need the rule of law? Um, and then you earlier talked about how some people see Javert as the embodiment of the law, and how when we see Javert in that way, then we see him as inflexible. Like he can't bend to this kind of like idea of mercy because he is the law. um, and so i'm I'm wondering, like, to what degree that's true? Like is there a way that we can understand the law that allows it to bend to mercy? like are there are there? more kind of expansive views of, of what justice, like a justice system can, can mean.
3: And can I just add real quick, are there also, you know, if the law can't, whether it can or can't bend towards mercy, are there ways that we can bend toward mercy within, you know, that justice system also?
0: Yeah, I I think that's a great question. Um, I would say from my perspective, like probably, you know, putting someone in jail for five years for stealing a loaf of bread is like not not a good thing. You know, putting someone in jail for five years for like smoking weed is also probably not a good thing in our modern context. I think from an economist's perspective, um, what I would like to see is just fewer people getting into these situations in the first place again, uh, where where you're doing something like like stealing, for example, because you're you're in a difficult situation, I was actually just looking up kind of like statistics on this and like whether a better social safety net basically leaves less crime. Um, and it is correlated with less crime, I think it's hard to figure out like exactly what the causality is. Um, but I, I am hopeful that you know, if people have the essential things that they need to to live, you're not going to be doing things right, like stealing, and I think that this is something that if you are also wealthy, like many of the people on the podcast, um, listening to the podcast are, this is probably something you have to consider too, is if like someone, you know, amongst you, for example, takes your wallet, is that something that you want to turn them into the authorities for? And um, when they probably did it out of a place of desperation. I think this is obviously nonviolent crime. I think if someone commits like bodily harm against me, then that is another question but um, for, for this, for example, I wouldn't want to, like, turn the people in who, who stole my laptop in, in Zambia.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think about that, that question all the time. Like, should we, should we, should we use an unfair um, punishment over using no punishment at all? Um, so, like, if, if somebody steals from me, I do think they should be punished in some way, or I think that justice needs to happen. But do I think that they should go to jail for five years? Maybe not. And so does that mean I just don't turn them in at all? And, like, um, if those are my two, like, options, then I think that sometimes the answer is just, no, I I, I don't turn them in, which I, I think, you know, it's, it's not the right answer, um, because the right answer is that, like, we need to... Bring resolution to this situation because this person mm-hmm. is probably or is is likely going to go and steal from somebody else, um, and that's not only a problem for the other person who's being a stolen from, but it's also a problem for them because it means that they still haven't had their needs their needs met, and so like it, it does nothing for me to not turn them in, but it also does harm for me to turn them in, um, and so so yeah, I, I just have have similar kind of like conflicting thoughts there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like the way that you frame that, I think, because it's like, yeah, I, I do believe that like rule of law is a good thing. I do believe like people should not be stealing from, from one another, but it's like, how do I act in, in this like bad system that, that we already have? Um, which yeah, does cause this tension. Yeah. I love the way that you put that.
3: I would add to a your point that, you know, on the one hand, it's a bad thing that the person is going to go steal again, because it means their needs haven't been met still that, you know, stealing once is not like a sustainable solution. Uh, it's also a bad thing because that person is probably going to steal from someone who hasn't thought about it as deeply as you have and is going to turn them in so, you know, like when they're doing something that isn't okay, uh, given the justice system that we have, like, it's gonna burn them. Even if, you know, you're not the one who, who like chooses to cause them harm. Which is why I always get stuck on like, no, I do not think this person should go to jail for five years because what does that do for anyone? (laughs) You know, in the psychology world, we try to have natural consequences, but consequences that move toward healing in some way. Like you sit down with the person that you stole from and you talk about it and you come to a mutual understanding of what happened. Even if there's an apology and there's like someone who feels like they were wronged, It's just, there needs to be something rehabilitative to it. There's like, and maybe that's internal and external of this person needs resources in order to not need to steal. And this also, this person may also need to be connected to something that they're often not connected to, which is the consequences of violence. I mean, if we, not that stealing is necessarily violence, but it can be because it's scary, uh and because you might actually lose something that maybe they needed the value of it more, but it might've also been you know, really sentimental to you. And I, I think there is something dehumanizing about the way that the justice system disconnects you from the consequences of your actions and so disconnects you from a capacity for empathy, which kind of feels like where Javert is to me.
2: Yeah, I think that, like, that idea of separating, um, you know, even the person who commits the crime from empathy, that, like, that's what the criminal justice system does is is really interesting. And I also really like this, the idea that you talked about how if it's not rehabilitative, if it's not going to help the person, then it, it's, um, it doesn't prevent future violence um, or future harm, particularly in the the case of theft, but also in, like, other cases, because the case of theft, like you mentioned, is, you know, it's, it's directly this person... Um, identifies that they have a need and they they take it from somebody. So, I, as I understand it, the the final act of your your story talks specifically about that kind of almost rehabilitative um, aspect or or how justice can be can be seen differently.
0: Um, yeah. So, I recently wrote a a story for Vox about cash transfers for formerly incarcerated people, and I thought this was. This was like a super cool story and and tied into Les and the idea of peacemaking quite well, um, because it's kind of doing what the bishop is doing, but um, on a society wide, wide level in in this um, county in Florida. So basically um, what is happening is um, this is a pilot program with um, 115 formerly incarcerated people in Florida, and it's giving them uh, seven. Thousand five hundred dollars in cash, kind of in monthly installments over the course of a year, and so it was actually designed and implemented by um, other people who had been in prison, and um, so they were trying to figure out, you know, what what do people need? Like people come out of prison, they're they're often um, experiencing homelessness. They often don't have money for basic needs like like a home or or car or food or For example, um, if they're going back to live with their family, they don't have money to contribute to, to the family um, and and into the community. And so what this is doing is um, this is trying to put this money for these, these basic needs and also giving back to the community into, into these people's hands with the hope that that will help them be like more productive um, members of society in, in the future. And um, there were some really good quotes by the people. Who, who are running this study um, that I would just like to cite in this podcast. Um, so I think one of them is um, the, the manager of this program um, who comes out of a community program um, that that works with formerly incarcerated people and, on many things. Um, people face choices basically between you know buying food, paying probation fees, all of these different things that you face. And he said, the crime is in your bank account. You've been labeled that you're too poor to be free. And that I think you know that that is basically what happens to Jean Valjean at the beginning of of Les Mis. It's it's still happening today, and that's that's just horrible. And so so programs like this are are trying to remedy that um, to ensure that people are like not going back to prison just because they're again quote like too too poor to be free. I think the second quote that I that I really like and how this relates to the criminal justice system and how this relates to people going back to prison is from one of the researchers in the project and who says, people ask, do do people deserve this? You know, they were in prison. Do they deserve to get free money, quote unquote? So he says, I think the question instead should be, um, do we all deserve safer communities? The answer is yes. That means we want to do everything we can to help ensure people with felony records live crime-free lives and don't recidivate. If we can help folks leave our criminal justice system and get jobs, pay taxes, and become great tenants and homeowners and so on and so forth, this only contributes to our society rather than detracting from it. So this this more mercy-based approach that again the bishop takes and that this this program is taking, is something that can benefit not only people but also society society as a whole. And and I think this is like one really cool way forward. I think also as as we have been discussing, like also reform of the criminal justice system is probably necessary. But given given this this context that we live in, I think something like cash transfers um, can can be really awesome.
2: So given like all of this um I'm curious Siobhan, if there is any one principle of peacemaking that you think we can take from this story
0: yeah, so I think there there are maybe a couple so so maybe we can boil it down to one um I think the first one that comes to mind is is mercy from the story of of Les Mis. both both the bishop shows mercy and then and then Javert also does um but then I think there's the economic inequality and um, injustice piece. So the bishop's mercy and forgiveness as a person who's kind of in this position of more power includes also kind of this economic element, which which I think is really interesting and maybe what th- makes this story a little bit different.
3: I really like that. It sounds to me like we're almost conceptualizing mercy as uh, recognizing and addressing the need
2: behind the conflict Mm. yeah um and I think what's crucial here is that like we've been talking about this like I think we've just kind of like been assuming this but it's like a really fascinating thought is that like we're thinking about what does the person who instigated the conflict need um and I say instigated but like of course the conflict was instigated from like by society treating Jean Valjean the way that society treated him and like Javert and the bishop were part of this like overarching society that um, created the the circumstances for the conflict. But um, instead of thinking like, how do we make the bishop well or like fit, fill the bishop's need because he was just stolen from or whoever like lost the loaf of bread? What we're thinking about is the need of Jean Valjean because he is the one who we recognize as clearly at need here, but is not always recognized as at need. Like oftentimes we think that the person who does the harm can't possibly be the one that that has a need that needs to be met
0: well yeah i guess thank you for having me on the podcast and allowing me to share these stories
1: Tell me, tell me, tell me, what's a life? I've been feeling starstruck, seeing human love thrive in this really long dusk. Guess it's really all love, seven billion of us, and I read the headlines. Tell me, tell me, tell me, what's a life? It's part lux of violence, corn shucked the conscience, hot sauce, blood diamonds. Everybody pitching in forks red with silence. We already ate up that combed bread of kindness. Oh, it's something in between. We got stories in our stories, knowing stories what it seems. As we stumble,
2: as we fall, we watch each other and we scream. If our weaknesses are our glory, it's more glory to be seen. This has been the Peacemakers Podcast, produced and hosted by me, Obasi Shaw, and my co-host, Michael O'Brien. The intro and outro song, What's a Life, is by me and produced by Eerie Skies. The interludes are produced by Gabe Gladstein of the pop duo Running On Everything. If you liked this episode and want to reflect more, come visit our website at principlesofpeacemaking.org, where you can find more of our content and information on how to support us. Our guest today was Siobhan McDonough. Thanks, Siobhan. And thank you for listening. Now go and make peace.